Welcome to the Mystery of Home Education with Linda LaCour Hobar, author of The Mystery of History, a world history curriculum for all ages. This pre-recorded podcast is designed for new and returning homeschool parents seeking direction, encouragement, and inspiration from a biblical worldview. And now your hostess, Linda LaCour Hobar. Hello, and welcome to the Mystery of Home Education, where we hope to support you, you who are day in and day out, teaching at home from a biblical worldview. Today, I'm going to venture into the topic of methods of education. I hope the title grabbed you, which is finding a method to the madness. So let's talk first about the expression method to the madness. Do you know where this 400-year-old saying comes from? It's actually from Hamlet by Shakespeare. Now, in the famous play, Hamlet fakes madness to solve the murder of his father. It is Lord Polonius. He is suspicious of Hamlet's odd behavior, and he's the one who famously says, though this be madness, yet there is method in it. Oh, he's suggesting that if Hamlet is really crazy or not, there seems to be a calculated plan behind it. Well, friends, it may be a stretch, but I think this expression works for us. It reminds me that home education, it may look crazy at times, especially to outsiders. But hopefully, like in the case of Hamlet, there's a calculated plan behind it. Some would call that plan a method of education, which just may best describe your approach to teaching. So let's dive right in. As home education and private education have grown more popular in the past few years for a number of reasons, including the pandemic, so have the choices of curriculum and methods of education. It is wonderful, don't you think, that more material than ever is on the market now? It fills our bookshelves. But the process of sorting through the choices and all those methodologies, well, it can be a bit much if you're new or not. So I'm going to break down the most common methods of education, not because you have to have one. Hear me again, not because you have to have one. You may not, or you may have blended a few together by necessity. We'll get to that after our overview. First, on my list of seven. Number one, unschooling. So unschooling is almost what it sounds like, but not exactly. Few in education take the term literally. However, there's a vast and growing number of educators who would proudly label themselves as part of the unschooling movement by the nature of their non-conventional approach to education. Now, one spokesman for unschooling is the late John Taylor Gatto, who taught in the New York schools for decades. Now, he resigned out of pure frustration over the institutionalization of children. I do suggest his books like Dumbing Us Down or The Underground History of American Education. I just finished it last night. It's rather profound information. Now, generally speaking, this group would place very little emphasis on grade levels, tests, standard curriculum, or classroom-type activities. They would steer away from desks and drills and packaged teaching products. They would, however, place a great emphasis on learning, which, of course, is the point of education. They learn through reading, writing, singing, listening, traveling, and hands-on discovery. Unschoolers might also call themselves natural learners, self-directed learners, organic learners, or interest-driven learners. Unschoolers certainly vary in 
how they define themselves and in what they're doing and not doing because they really don't rely on any preconceived ideas of education. But unschoolers frequently band together to share common interests and provide a great amount of support to one another. I think unschooling has a valid place for young children who require no tracks to run on based on their natural curiosity and brightness, or perhaps for the gifted who also need very little to motivate them toward learning. So advantages to this method, well, I think it speaks for itself. Natural learners do very well with this, and it can be fun and non-conventional. It's great for free spirits. The disadvantages, well, there are some families that are perhaps not diligent enough or resourceful enough to really get the job done and may from the outside appear to be cutting corners and risk being suspect by the state. Number two, traditional textbook teaching. So by that, I'm referring to those who use big box textbook companies like, say, Bob Jones, Abeka, Christian Liberty Press, or others. Now, there are many, many families who put their trust in these well-established private schools for their materials. And I dare say, when homeschooling made a comeback in the 1980s, private school materials were exactly what most of us used for lack of any other options. Advantages. The scope and sequence of subjects, usually in these big box companies, it's been thought through for you. For example, sixth grade is sixth grade, and it can be ordered as is. You could call it school in a box. I would say there are seasons of life that this may be a great choice for you. When structure is needed due to illness, tragedy, or maybe you're co-teaching with others, well, there's some very good private school material on the market that is written from a biblical worldview. Now, the disadvantages. Hmm, well, since these materials are written and designed primarily for a classroom, I would say they're not super user-friendly, not for families, and they may require some enrichment to just not be bored stiff with them. They are also on the expensive side, though there's a pretty good used market for them too that might help you avoid that problem. Now, as a personal story, you know, I once had someone give me boxes of this type of material. And they were being kind because at the time we were a single income missionary family. We had very little to spend on homeschool materials. But if I were honest, it grew to be more of a burden than a blessing. I felt obligated to use some of it since it was a generous gift. But you know, it didn't really fit, didn't really suit my free spirit. There was just too many binders for my comfort level. So that's my story on that. Number three, the Charlotte Mason method. Charlotte Mason was an educator in the 1800s who had such a delightful manner of teaching and spirit about her that she has a following that's going strong today. Ironically, she was unmarried and she didn't have children of her own. She actually taught in a classroom. But let me tell you, she was so good at it that she trained governesses to tutor folks at home. I kind of picture her as the Mary Poppins of her day. She believed that children needed to be outdoors as much as indoors to learn experientially. This means she was not big on dry textbooks, but she suggested living books by single passionate authors. Believing in some structure, she was big on dictation and narration so children could learn to become articulate 
And she was very big on chronological world history as a framework for other studies. So yes, I really do like this lady. Her method greatly resonates with me and the way that I wrote The Mystery of History. Advantages. Well, a Charlotte Mason approach is a great choice for happy, hands-on learners and families that greatly value relationships. Another advantage, there are several companies today bringing this method up to modern time. Her ideas made a comeback under the Andreolas in the 1980s. So if you're interested in it, it's pretty easy to find mentors in the Charlotte Mason method. They're just everywhere in the blogosphere. Now, I can't recommend highly enough my friend, Anna Willis. She's the founder of They Call Me Blessed. She offers a lot in seminars and courses to help support the Charlotte Mason method. Anna has been one of my guests here before, as a matter of fact. So see episode 18. Now, disadvantages. I see very few disadvantages to the Charlotte Mason approach, except if you have very little time to spend with your child. Working homeschool moms and dads, or those who are sharing the load with some grandparents or small groups, they may need to reconsider. While this method may include some independent work, it's best suited for families and small groups that are highly engaged and can learn together. You know, ironically, I just have to add this. I think most of the pioneer homeschool families, at least the ones that survived and really thrived, I think they were drifting toward the Charlotte Mason method if they knew it or not. I know I was. We were figuring out that home education wasn't the act of bringing the classroom home, but it was private tutoring at its best with the world as our classroom. Number four. Next is classical education. Now, a classical education is one that is language-centered, which means that students will do great volumes of reading, listening, and writing. Furthermore, a classical education observes three stages of training the mind. The three-stage process is called the trivium of learning. Just think of the tri, trivium, tri, like tricycle, three, or triangle, three. Now, I'm briefly going to describe each. Stage one of the trivium is referred to as the grammar stage. It would primarily describe children from kindergarten through third or fourth grade. Although, let me insert here, kindergarten, it's really a modern concept that came about from the German model of education. The word kindergarten, it is German, and it means garden of children. Well, anyway, in the grammar stage, students are deemed the most absorbent. It's a time for them to accumulate new ideas, new words, new stories, and new facts. So a lot of memorization takes place in the grammar stage. Stage two of the trivium is referred to as the logic stage because children of this age group are beginning to process information that they've obtained and to question it. This group would span about fourth and fifth grade through about eighth grade. Now, the reason that students begin to ask so many more why questions at this stage is because their ability to think abstractly has been further developed. Students this age should begin to process things more logically and question. Not that that's necessarily easy to live with. Now, the third stage of the trivium of learning is referred to as the rhetoric stage. Now, these are students from about ninth grade and up, and by this stage, Students should be applying information that has been learned and then assimilating that knowledge into a firm belief system. So in summary of the three stages, there's the grammar student who absorbs information, 
the logic student who questions information, and the rhetoric student who analyzes or defends information. Now, I like to look at this using the word picture of a blender. So just picture a blender in front of you, okay? And in the elementary age, the grammar age, that's where you put everything into the blender. You're just adding ingredients. But on the next stage, the middle schooler, that's when you turn on the machine and you literally mix it all up. But then the older they get in the rhetoric stage, that's when you take the contents and pour it out. So think of that blender when you think of the trivium. Now, one advantage of classical education is the depth and breadth of the subject matter. It's quite rich in literature and ideas. Now, some roots of this method come from ancient Greece. They were the first that we know of to believe that knowledge and wisdom would breed freedom from tyranny. And that's certainly a good thing. Now, the ancient Greeks may have borrowed some of their ideas from the Israelites. There's debate where the trivium really started. But that freedom part, oh, well, that is something home educators greatly value. Also in support of classical education, I want to quote the late, great Lori Blue Dorn. Now, she's an expert on classical education and the author of Teaching the Trivium. She passed away just a few years ago. But she and her husband Harvey wrote, and I quote, The academic goal of homeschooling is not to teach a multitude of things to an adequate level, but to tutor in the most important things to an excellent level, end quote. Oh, I just like that summary. So again, the advantage to classical is that you can really just focus in on the important things. Now, I would say some disadvantages to the classical would be this. I think this method can be hard on the teacher. It might be hard to implement this rigorous method if it's an unusually difficult season in your life. Now, while there are companies that promote the classical style of education for you to do at home, it's really a bit more common to find entire groups, hybrid schools, or private schools that are promoting this style of learning. And that's because of its complexities. Now, a second disadvantage, most of us did not get a classical education. Oh, don't even get me started on the dumbing down of Americans and others around the world. But I kind of went out of style in the 1960s in the United States. So you may not feel well-equipped. And you might feel like you're having to learn right alongside your students. Now, I will say, that's not a disadvantage to this method. Chances are you are learning alongside your students, but you may feel that you're behind on the classics, literally, because you weren't taught them. I know I wasn't. Number five, unit studies or theme studies. Now, these are programs that combine more than one subject. Usually, they combine everything but math. A few programs would even leave out science, too. As an example... My daughter attended a homeschool hybrid classical school that was built on this concept. That meant once a week she attended class for the humanities, but that included Bible, literature, English, history, and critical thinking. It was all lumped together and very much overlapping. Another example, Konos is a unit study. That's a very sweet program I used many, many years ago when it was first out. Now, you may find unit studies in the form of just short studies, like, say, an offering from a blogger on pirates, where you can center everything that week or month on pirates as you read about them, write about them, have a party with them, and make a field trip to board a pirate ship. Now, I confess I've actually never seen a unit study on pirates, but it sure sounds fun, doesn't it? And maybe somebody's made it out there. Now, the advantages to unit studies 
is that you can streamline subjects for one or more students and then hopefully have some real fun with it. Disadvantages. Some programs tend to water down the strength of one subject just to be all-inclusive. For example, in the lesson of pirates, well, maybe you've had a lot of fun, but at the cost of reviewing some spelling words from a different program, or maybe this little group thought of everything, but they missed a lesson on prepositions and it's right when you needed them. It's kind of hard to cover all the basics in one fell swoop. Now, last on unit studies, they may prove hard to do for several students who are in reality needing materials on several different levels. Let me elaborate on something I've shared before, but it's worth repeating. There's two kinds of subjects, really. There's stair-step and living. You've heard me talk about this before. But some subjects are stair-step subjects, meaning that they require mastery at one level to really advance a student to the next level. That would be true for students in math, some parts of grammar, and maybe a foreign language. But living subjects, that's where... Subjects do not require mastery at one level to go deeper on another level, like perhaps Bible, history, or earth science. By the way, I love those open-ended learn-for-life subjects. I nicknamed them sofa subjects because the whole family can learn together on the sofa. Now, I just bring up the distinction so that if you choose a unit study or theme study for a time, be sure you're paying attention to the layers in those stair-step subjects that might need some extra attention to keep everybody challenged at the right level. Number six, biblical or the principle model of education. This simply states that when it's all said and done, you choose to follow the Lord's model of education. Think about it. Jesus, at least in his earthly ministry, he taught by way of example. He told parables and stories. He asked questions and he used object lessons. Oh. I so sincerely believe the Lord Jesus Christ stands as our greatest model of a teacher. And so I hope, if you believe as I do, that you seek him as your ultimate guide in educating your students. Now, the advantage is, well, it's biblical to model Christ, no matter what method of education you follow on paper. The disadvantage is that apart from the Bible, there's really not a single syllabus for this, and you'll need to follow your spirit. Now, there are entire programs that certainly are founded on biblical principles, but spirit-led teaching is one that we can't entirely define or teach or replicate because it's led by the spirit. Number seven and last, eclectic. Now, an eclectic method of education is simply everything I just described all put together. It's a variety of styles that can change with your students or change with the time of day. Now, the advantages of the eclectic approach, it's a great way to go if you have the flexibility in your personality to change gears a lot, or if you have students who love variety and really thrive on creative bursts. The only disadvantage I can see is perhaps the expense of buying different curriculum for different children. Hmm, It may require an open mind on your end and one willing to stay up on the latest. Also, it may not satisfy the naysayers in your life. You know, people who really want you to commit yourself to one method of education that appears successful. You know those people. There are method enthusiasts who are so excited about their success that they assume you'll want to follow their path. Well, I encourage you to resist that. The beauty of home education 
is the right to seek out and choose what may be best for your family. Now, if I had to define my experience by one of these methods, I'd have to say I was eclectic because that fit the choices that I had. I was sometimes inventive and it really fit my personality to change with every subject. So here are some quick examples. For history, I would say I was classical and Charlotte Mason. For science, oh, I was very Charlotte Mason. My son grew up to be a scientist, so I think it worked. For spelling and math, I was pure textbook out of need, really, because neither of those were my strongest subjects. I really relied on the books to help me teach. Now for health, oh, I was an unschooler. That's because I loved the subject and I felt confident in the ability to wing it. And this, I would say, proved successful. My daughter grew up to be a dietitian. For language arts, I was rather traditional, but I strayed to my own invention when at least it came to writing. That's because my kids, they were good writers naturally. And so I felt as if they were slowed down by the programs we would choose. So I had to just let them soar on their own. Now for variety and electives, well, I added unit studies here and there. They were fun, but I admit a little bit exhausting. And for character studies and ethics, well, we read the Bible. Clearly, you can see I loved the variety of it all. Left on my own, I think I would have made a really good unschooling mom. But you know what? By personality, my children craved far more structure than I did. So I felt like we compromised and we used some pre-written curriculum where it was most needed. Friends, it may be overwhelming at times to have to research curriculum, figure out where it fits, determine what these methods of education are, but please rejoice in the challenge. Oh, we have come so far in this movement. Now, as a quick post-test, can you name these seven methods? Let me just repeat them for you as you're sorting through your mind and thinking about them. So again, it was unschooling, traditional, Charlotte Mason, classical, unit studies, the biblical principle approach, or eclectic. I'm going to leave you with this one word picture. That is the picture of a toolbox. So look at methods of education where each could be viewed as a toolbox. Now the toolbox of your preference, let's just say it holds all the things that you generally refer to as school. And you may tote around some tools in this toolbox. Some of these tools you bought yourself. Some maybe somebody gave to you. Maybe you inherited some from well-meaning friends. Well, the chances are as you get working, you realize some tools just aren't helping you, but they're weighing you down. They don't fit right. When that happens, switch out your tools slowly, perhaps, replacing one here and one there. Now, you don't have to toss the whole toolbox. That might be poor stewardship of a previous investment, but you could be willing to trade this for that. And the next thing you know, you're the owner of a toolbox or method of education that is not like anyone else's. It's your very own toolbox for your family. Now, I'd be remiss if I didn't use my own program as an example. The Mystery of History, it's a course in world history. It is not a whole toolbox. It's not an entire method of education. It's a tool, which, believe it or not, fits in almost any toolbox. All right, friends, I've kept you long enough. Thanks for listening. And I hope you find a method to your madness 
something that really works for you and that you customize for you and your family. I'm Linda LaCour Hobar for The Mystery of Home Education. Thank you for listening to The Mystery of Home Education with Linda LaCour Hobar. For more information on Linda's award-winning history program, visit themysteryofhistory.com, a one-stop shop for chronological, Christian, complete world history for all ages.